All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Grind Podcast. And we have a guest coming back today, Travis Stevens of TS Custom. What's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going today? Good. How's things going in uh, Miller, South Dakota? Busy as as the whole firearms and rifle building ammo consumption world is right now. Oh, yeah. Busier than ever before. Yeah. Yeah, I figured, you know, this would be a great time to, you know, you mentioned you're busy. I'd like to talk about Mule Deer in South Dakota because you do a little part-time outfitting or uh, guiding for Mule Deer. Yep. We all love Mule Deer. I want to talk about what you've been up to in the, what is it, the NRL series, uh, National Rifle League series competition, and Travis uh, had a stellar finish there. So I want to talk about that. And then I want to kind of loop all this together and talk a little bit about how PRS shooting ultimately helps you become a better hunter. And I want to speak a little bit about form and something I learned recently with uh, Brian and Mike and Morgan when I was shooting with them. So yeah, let's, let's get right into it, man. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So what is the National uh, Rifle League? So the National Rifle League, it is a collection of rifle matches across the country, tactical rifle matches, if you will. And they take a points series or a, or a points race, I guess, across all their sanctioned matches for the season. Uh, there's another series called the Precision Rifle Series. The Precision Rifle Series was, was there first. It was founded way probably seven, eight years ago, I suppose. And they're really the same, the same thing there. They have the same kind of matches, similar, similar locations. The, the NRL, it was started out West and has a little bit more of a Western following and the PRS the precision rifle series has a little bit more of an Easter follow Eastern following. And they kind of overlap in the middle and, you know, they both got some out West and some out East or vice, vice versa, but they're pretty well the same, the same thing, same types of matches. You know, I shoot NRL the last couple of years because that's what we had local to us. Okay. That makes sense. I hate I hate having to get on a plane with with my rifle and shooting bags and 250 rounds of ammo and a tripod and a set of binos or a spotter and it's just I mean it's as bad or worse than traveling to go hunting someplace so I we shoot the NRL or here locally we do most of us just because we have more matches that we can travel to and and shoot like you know the the uh, I won one of the NRL matches last summer well it's right here in Miller, South Dakota. So, you know, I get, actually get to shoot a major national level match and sleep in my own bed. So. Yeah. Nice. That's the point. That's the point series that, that we chased. Okay. No, that makes sense. That okay. Chased. So I had Travis kind of rattle off that because I basically wanted to kind of, uh, help listeners understand, you know, what, what that is, but also it's a resume for you. And we're going to talk about some shooting form, uh, some proper mechanics, when it comes to getting square behind your rifle and the, the right way to do it and, and the wrong way to do it and how that transitions into laying down for your shot and killing, ultimately killing an animal. So, but before we do that, man, I want you to brag about yourself. How did you finish in that NRL? Not, not only is Travis, we all know Travis. We did a series on, on custom, custom rifles. We all know that Travis builds all of our rifles and many other people's rifles. Um, not only a phenomenal rifle builder, but he's also a very, very polished, precision rifle shooter. So that's why I'm having Travis also talk about this. And, and it's not often that you can be the best at, at multiple things. And, and Travis is very close on, on to being the best on, on both of those things, if, if not the best. So talk about your finish, man. 
so the last just last weekend they had the finale, the NRL National Rifle League finale championship match down in Oklahoma. And because of COVID, typically the the past several seasons of the PRS and NRLs, they have typically always had their finales like in December, January, um, and they're always down south. It's always been kind of tough for us northerners because we're just coming out of deer season, elk season. You know, it's cold up here. It's hard to hard to get your gun working, want to go shoot in when you're in knee-deep snow, but because of COVID and they had to cancel a bunch of matches last spring, they actually pushed their season finale back instead of being in December or January, they pushed it back here till this first weekend in May. So I knew it would give me an opportunity this year to go and shoot, maybe practice a little bit, make sure my gun was really, really working before the finale. And uh, I tried to hit a couple local matches before the finale last weekend and, and had a had a real good finale. I actually finished second in the match. Um, I went into the finale 10th in the overall point standings and my second place finish jumped me up to fourth place in the overall series. That's awesome. So you finished one place behind Morgan King. Uh, no, yep. Uh, second, second place to the, ma- in the match to Morgan. So they actually, they, uh, they flighted the shooters kind of like golf first through 11 in the, in the series were all shot in the same squad. Then, then uh, 12 through 22nd and, and on and on down the line. So I actually shot with Morgan all weekend. It's kind of a cool way to, to shoot it. You know, you, you have a pretty good, you're watching the guys ahead of you and behind you shoot. So you've got a pretty good pulse on, on where you're standing in the match. Well, you know, every, every single stage, you know, you're watching the guy ahead of you, you know, he might drop a couple of shots and you get a chance to catch up to him by cleaning a stage and, and vice versa. So it was, it was pretty fun to, to shoot with 10 of the best shooters in the nation currently um, for two days straight. Dude, good for you. Congratulations. You went in 10th. Uh, you finished second in the match to Morgan, who Morgan's the national champion, correct? Yep. And you finished second to him, and then you went from 10th overall on the year to fourth overall in the year? Yep, that's correct. Heck yeah, congratulations. So, you know, I, I, I basically, again, I not to beat a dead horse here, but I wanted Travis to kind of uh, tell about that recent experience and how he finished so that you guys could understand just how much experience Travis has. So when he rattles off some of these mechanics into properly squaring up behind a rifle and, and shooting form, especially in the field when, when hunting and, and backcountry hunting, I, I wanted to set the stage there. So I say that to say this, Travis, what is the most common mistake that rifle hunters make squaring up behind the gun? Or just give me, give me, give me some things where things go wrong. One of the biggest mistakes I see shooters make in the, in the field is not getting good support. And I mean, that can be support on the front end of the gun, support on the back end of the gun, and not, not taking the time to build a position to allow that rifle to sit naturally without being able to have the rifle sit at ease with, you know, it's natural point of aim pointed at, at the target without having to impart a lot of force on the rifle, you know, such as using your hand to hold up the back of the gun or, or having something on the support in the front of the rifle. That's real wobbly. That's not, that's not stable, like a, a bipod or a good bag, or, you know, even a, even a little bag on a rock is, you know, is super stable. That's easily the most common mistake is, and it's, and it's a lot of, it's just a, it's an understanding, a knowing of, of how to get stable. You know, there's a, a lot of ways to get stable in the field from, from a backpack you know, drag, on the rear support. Yeah, exactly. Your backpack or a coat rolled up, you know, a, a really, really common one that guys do is 
they'll unclip their bino harness and, you know, they got their binos in their bino harness and they'll slide their bino harness over underneath of their, underneath the butt of their gun for, for a rear support. I mean, I'll, that makes a huge difference and just in getting stable. So, so that you're not, you're not stressed. You're not, uh, you know, using a whole lot of muscle to try to hold the rifle steady. I mean, muscles, muscles aren't steady, you know, just like, just like shooting your bow, you know, you when you did the series on setting up your bow and, and you went through some of the, some of the form, you know, they talked about bone on bone contact and, you know, cause muscles, muscles fatigue easily they can't uh, maintain a position for very long right and shooting a rifle is the shooting a rifle is the same way i mean really it's you kind of got to be lazy and get out of the rifle's way and put anything inanimate between the the rifle and and the earth to get it state get it to be pointed where you want it and be able to remain there yeah no that's you make a really good point and that those are all things i've done i in fact on my recent backcountry bear hunt i wadded up my hoodie and bunched up in a ball to get my rear support. I actually also tried unclipping my bino harness and sticking my binos in there. And and then my glassing pad, I stuck that under my binos just to give it a little bit more stability. And yeah, the binos can move just because you know how they have that mechanism or swivel, whatever you want to call it, to fit your eyes and, and they'll adjust. So sometimes I don't like that because they can move on you a little bit with a little bit of pressure. They can slide down. I don't know. I I think the pack and and the coat of the hoodie is always a really good option. Yeah, it's it's all stuff that you're always going to have with you. It's field expedient. I like to carry a little lightweight bag. It's a shooting bag. It's, you know, kind of come from the precision shooting world, tactical rifle world, little nylon bag. It's like, oh, probably eight by 11 by four or five inches thick. And it's just filled with super lightweight fill, but it's got a lot of different positions, different heights that I can, that I can use. Now it's nothing like what I would shoot in the, in the competition. I drag around a bag that probably weighs 12 or 15 pounds. It's filled with sand and, and it's super, super heavy, super dense for very high precision shots. But of course it's not practical to drag around in the field, but anything is better than than nothing when you're when you're trying to get steady oh yeah especially when it's a buck bull or in this case bear of a lifetime right <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it's, and it's, you're always you know your heart your heart rates your heart rates up maybe you're cold maybe you just ran up the backside of the hill and plopped down prone and you're already at a at a disadvantage physically so you, you got to try to employ something that's that's not going to move like your like your fist or your elbows are certainly going to Right. Absolutely. No, that's a good point. Yeah. There's, you're already at a disadvantage physically and just getting something wedged between the earth and the, uh, the, uh, the butt of your, well, the rear of your gun. Yeah. Just in order to stabilize. So tell me how you can miss impact with having a, a crappy rear support, if you will. So for example, how, how would I miss, where's my bullet going to go off target? Likely if I don't have a good rear support or good front support, can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. Uh, the most common there being, being the rear support, when that gun goes off, starts moving rearward, all your physics and angles start to come into, into play of, of how that butt stock is angled, how it, it hit, how it hits your shoulder. And the natural, natural reaction is typically the front of your rifles on something pretty rigid, you know, a bipod. It's, it's not like it's going to fall. It's not like it's going to fall into the earth, but most, most typically with how a rifle interacts with your body and, and how the, butt of the rifle is is shaped is the back end is going to want to drop you know when you break the when you if say you're holding the rifle up with your hand or you're up on you're up on your elbows when you break that shot you're and especially if you're using much much muscle to hold you in place 
your na- your body's natural reaction when that shot breaks is to relax. And when you relax, you're going to fall towards the earth. The butt of the gun's going to fall, and the, and that's going to cause the muzzle to point high. And in that millisecond that it takes for the shot to break, and you know the powder to burn, and the explosion to happen, and it forced the bullet out the end of the barrel, that that bullet's still in the barrel for whatever one microsecond that it takes for the, for the bullet to leave, you know, the end of the barrel can be pointing in a, in a slightly different direction, most often causing your shot to go high. More people miss shots high than anything else. If you missed low more often than not, it's a, it's a function of poor ballistic computation or, right. you know, or a super, super unstable position. You know, maybe you're, you're swinging all over the place. You're not even steady and the shot just right. happens to break low, right. but most missed shots, you know, shots that, wow, I was so, I was super steady or I thought I was super steady and it, and it went high. That's the most common reaction is, is a, a shot that lands high. Right. That can come from your, come from your trigger pull, you know, a nice, steady square easy press on the trigger keeps the rifle from losing its natural point of aim you know leaving the target as you as you break that trigger you know a guy that slams on the trigger he typically you know he grips that whole stock with his with his hand when he when he slaps that trigger and that typically you know his thumbs way stronger than his index finger is and pushes the back of the rifle down as he slams on the trigger and quite often causing it to go high. Yeah. No, that was a very articulate way of saying you're going to miss high, not having a good rear support. Yeah. I liked I li- I liked how you gave me all the mechanics and, and the visual of the powder burning and the bullet traveling down the rifling of the barrel. And, and that was, that was exciting. You got me excited, Travis. I was envisioning <laughs> like this uh, computer science display when you were just describing that. So yeah, the, the rifle kind of being on a lever, you know, supported on that bipod and it's going to move, the rifle is going to move in the direction of, of the least resistance. Yeah. And in, you know, if there's, if there's very little resistance on the back of the gun, holding, holding the gun up into position, it's going to want to move the butt end down and muzzle end up sending your shot over the target. Yeah. hundred percent. And I'd, I'd say probably 90% of my misses on animals have been due to improper rear support shooting over them. Yeah. And the, the mechanics of how, you know, a rifle, a rifle stock is shaped, um, aids in that, that slope on the underside of the buttstock. I mean, that's a, that's a natural slope that even as the, as the rifle moves, moves rearward, the, if you were to just get off to the side of, the, of a rifle and a natural, you know, a normal field hunting gun, you get off to the side of it and, and squeeze the trigger, you know, you could have the butt end sitting on a rock and it's still gonna, you know, the rifle's going to move, the rifle's going to move rearward and slide down that slope causing the muzzle to point high. So, you know, as a shooter, you, you've got some responsibility to, to get in behind that, that rifle and support some of that rearward movement also to counteract that slope on the bottom of the stock, stock causing that back end of the stock to go down. Yeah, absolutely. So before you get down to take the shot, make sure you have a good rear support that you're anchored in and that you're practicing proper mechanics from trigger pull to thumb pressure. And then you have bipod support too, to, to establish the, the front end of that gun. So uh, let's talk about the front end support a little bit. Obviously bipods are everything. I know you guys use some pretty fancy bipods when it comes to NRL and PRS type shooting matches. I've always kind of hunted with an Evo and an Atlas, more recently the Atlas, and I think I like the Atlas a little bit better for hunting applications. It's it's small, it's super tough, it helps me hold a really solid cant, and I, I feel like it works really well on some of the rocky terrain and even some of the uneven uh, dirt terrain that I hunt off of. So if, if you could talk a little bit about a bipod, and then um, how you might miss your mark on a bipod. Yeah, so the Atlas is a, is a great bipod. It's one of the most 
forgiving bipods to shoot off of. And what I mean by that is it's got it's got some nice soft rubber feet. The legs are very rigid. There's not a lot of flex in them. There's no springs on on any of it, and they're they're just really heavy duty. And they're they're sound. They're really solid. What you want to avoid in in the front end support is getting as high getting any higher than you have to. If you're on your belly on a bipod, you know obviously. In the field, there's going to be times you got to shoot over the top of a hill or you got to shoot over some grass. But if you can get nice and low, you want to get nice and low. The shorter that that bipod is, the less resonance, the less springiness it's going to have and the less it's going to bounce when when that rifle goes off. If we're not using we're not using a bipod, say we're say we're shooting off of a off of a rock or, or some places of the, uh, the world, you might be shooting off the hood of your pickup or back end of a ranger or, you know, shooting out of shooting out of the crock of the tree. The big thing to avoid with the front end of, of a rifle is hard, hard on hard contact. So like you, know, you don't want, if you can put something between your stock and that rock, or you can put something between that, your stock and that, uh, and that tree or, you know, the hood of your pickup, whatever it might be, you want to, try to deaden some of that yeah. impact between between your rifle and the and the whatever medium it is that you're shooting right. off and and please don't ever rest your barrel on anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's gonna mess up your harmonics correct me if i'm wrong right yeah i mean the no matter how big and stiff a barrel you have if you rest your barrel on on a tree limb or you rest your barrel on the rock or i grew up in Eastern South Dakota, where it's flat, and you drive from slough to slough to cornfield to cornfield, looking for deer. And I've seen countless deer and and coyotes and and everything else shot from a shot from a pickup window. Well, the pickup windows have a have a natural rest built into them with the rearview mirror. So I don't <laughs> know how many how many shots I've seen taken with a, with a barrel resting on a on a mirror, and and guys will naturally are going to miss because any weight on that suspended from that barrel, basically when you, you stick the, you, you rest the barrel on, on anything. And then the weight of the rifle and you behind it is flexing that barrel up. And it's at the end of that barrel is no longer pointed where, it, where it should be, where it would be naturally. Yeah. Not a good idea to set your barrel on anything. Yeah. Don't ever rest your barrel on anything. You will miss yeah. or you will not, it, it will not, go where where you had intended it no matter no matter what you're resting on never rest your barrel on anything yeah that's an, that's definitely a no-no yeah yeah but i like what you said about the hard on hard you don't want to put a hard stock on i'm thinking about a v in a tree you don't want to put it's just not going to be a good weld there it's not it's it's going to be uneven it's not going to be stable that's when you could throw in one of those pads uh those bags with fill that you're talking about and that's where you might get a really good holder shoving a hoodie in there uh, getting a little soft landing there. That that sounds like something that more work versus hard on hard. That just doesn't seem like it'd work too well. Yeah, absolutely. When 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 you have hard on hard contact, I mean, you just have you have more vibrations. There's nothing to soak that up. And and there again, it's kind of like putting your bipod on on something bouncy. It when that shock wave moves through the rifle, it's going to vibrate and bounce away from whatever you know hard on hard contact you have. And it causes shots to not go where they're pointed because in that type of situation, you know, it's not, it's not as predictable as, as the, the, the lack of rear support. You know, if you're on the side of a rock or you're in the crock of a tree, there's kind of no telling which direction it's going to go. It's going to go away from what, whatever median it's, you know, it's interacting with. And quite often, you know, bounces a right a lot, you know, up and off the side of the rock and you didn't get, you didn't see anything where your, where your bullet landed or, right. or you know, whether it went where it's supposed to or not. You'd have a hard time seeing impact through your scope too, I imagine. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to, it's going to be even worse. No, you bring up a good point and you kind of just talking about shooting on the crock of a tree. You kind of reminded me about shot positions. I'd be interested in hearing how a lot of your shot positions are out there on South Dakota on mule deer. Cause you hunt a lot in side by side. You're hunting more hill country, maybe some bad lands, maybe some crop. Tell me about some of the shooting situations you get into out there. So yeah, we're big rolling prairie is, is most of, most of what we're in, you know, it's, it's not like great big mountain canyons, but, uh, we hunt a lot of, you know, they're cow pastures, you know, typically low Creek drainages. So maybe there's 30, 40, 50 feet of elevation change from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill. And, you know, and then up the other side might be a, a couple hundred or, or hundred, couple hundred yards or a half mile, three quarters of a mile across, you know, to the, to the next draw and maybe little finger, little fingers coming off of that. And it's all tall grass. It's, you know, it's, it's all typically nice native prairie grass. So unless you're in a pasture that's been grubbed down, there's usually pretty good grass to try to, to try to shoot over. And we do a lot of our hunting, you know, like you said, we do do most of the spotting from, from the ranger, just cause we cover so much country. Um, the country is easy to, it's really easy to glass up. Now, you know, it doesn't take much of a depression in the bottom of a draw to hide a big mule deer, but you know, we, we, look at a lot of country would we'll kind of travel the heads of these big draws and drainages and and glass down them and try to get around them and, and glass into them you know several different directions but we don't sit still for for very long except for end of the day and beginning of the day you know when we would spot something decided something that we want to take after we we take off i always make sure my hunter's got a a good bipod, something that's preferably that's pretty tall and then i always take my tripod with me because it's it's not uh it's not uncommon that you get something bedded up into a little, into a little finger draw and you're just not going to be able to prone out. You know, we can, it might not uh, be a I super see. long shot. It might just be a hundred, 200 yard shot. Cause you know, it might be only, might only be 150 yards across, across the little finger, but it might be 50 feet deep. Gotcha. So you're, you're sneaking, you're sneaking over, over the top and it's going to be close when, you know, when it does happen. Gotcha. So as a guide and a professional shooter, how are you setting that hunter up? Who's probably not used to these kind of shooting situations. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it's definitely a, a thing where I bring all the gear. Uh, oh, you bring all the bags even, for the hunter. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause good for you. Most hunters aren't shooters. Um, that's a pretty harsh realization, but there's far more hunters than there are shooters. And most, and most hunters aren't shooters. Most guys maybe shoot their gun before they, before they show up to a hunt, you know, and this is, and this is universal. Easy, this is, you know, I know a lot of, I, yeah, I know a lot. Hey, <laughs> I, I know a lot of guides and I know a lot of guides and outfitters and very few people shoot their guns. It's, yeah. it's a, it is the harsh truth and it, and it's getting better and better all the time. I mean, I'll uh, attribute some of that to, you know, the big, the big outdoor long range hunting shows, gun works, best of the West, you know, the people seeing people kill stuff at 800 and a thousand yards, you know, and, and they go out and try to do that themselves and then realize that they do got to actually shoot their guns. So, um, you know, I'll, I will credit the pioneers of the long range hunting stuff in, in making it normal, making it common, making guys realize that, you know, to do that, you actually do got to, you got to shoot your gun a little bit, go make sure your zero is good. Right. I think there's an argument there that long range has actually made guys put more time behind their gun, you know, cause there's a little oh, bit right. of hate, right. In the hunting community that long range is unethical, blah, blah, blah. Anyone can shoot something a thousand. Years. Well, on the contrary, it actually takes a lot more skill and time to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it makes, you know, it makes the two, 300 yard shots slam dunks. You, you know, if, if I've never killed anything past a thousand yards, I mean, I literally, my, my longest kill 
this year was like date 23 or 830, whatever that, whatever that whitetail was that, that I killed. And, and granted, I, you know, I killed one big game animal a year typically is all like, is all I do. So it's not lack of opportunity also lends right. to that. But, you know, the, the whole thousand yards, thousand yards, thousand yards, everyone wants to be, a, you know, be able to shoot a thousand yards. And you know, realistic, the thousand yard ethical shot opportunities in the field are, are really pretty few and far between they really are someplace you know like like our, our part of the country you know you 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 came out west you were in west river south dakota last year antelope hunting weren't you yep so the country we mule deer hunt in is is real similar to that but you know it looks like you can get in a big old pasture and it looks like something's a long ways away and they can look over at the fence line and oh well, fence lines there that, that fence line's here and that this been i'm at the other fence line you know it's a half mile it's only it's 880 you know something halfway across the quarter which our country's all broke up pretty square you know there's almost a fence every half mile if not a, a mile and it's pretty easy to judge distance but four or five hundred yards is is still a long ways right it, it is it is and is it and it isn't you know game animals seems like you can usually get that six six eight hundred yards away from most game animals and if you're not loud if you're not doing nothing crazy they're usually pretty tolerant of people at those kind of distances unless they've been you know unless they've been really really pressured but there's just there's a huge difference in killing something at 500 versus killing something at a thousand. Oh man there's so many more variables that go into it between wind and, and bullet drift and animals moving on you right now i kind of i kind of got sidetracked on picking on picking on guys for <laughs> for for not shoot for not shooting their guns and, and and being prepared and but yeah to come come back around to the clients we get you know we've kind of got them prepped up that show up and we're gonna we're gonna help make that shot and anyways as a guide who's you know i'm really probably spent more time shooting than i ha- than i have hunting and uh, you know so the shot is super super important to me and and making the shot and being being fully prepared for the shot is is really important to me you know that I, I tell guys all the time you spend a lot of money getting there getting you know guides outfitting tags travel to get there and and not make the shot would really suck yeah oh yeah and it doesn't require a lot of preparation to to be ready for the shot but anyways so i've got all the gear i've got bags i've always got a rifle that's you know that's dialed in and really shooting good you know and i've got ballistics ran out on it and i've got something to solve the ballistics whether it be a kestrel or my range finding binoculars with ballistics so i typically i have all that stuff with me i mean it's just not uncommon in our hunting camp or any camp you know guy show guy shows up with grandpa's 30-06 and a sling and you know no bipod no bags and i'm, I'm and like haven't shot it for a while probably or maybe ever yeah well, grandpa said it was sighted in yeah zero zero was good last last year when i when i shot it you know so uh, oh man that's funny it's just i mean it's just about impossible to make a shot past a couple hundred yards without any gear without 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 any support equipment you know well you know i just hold over six to eight inches at 300 and i'm and i'm good and like you don't even have a range finder what's 300 yards (laughs) (laughs) so you you still get a few of those guys that come into camp once in a while oh yeah oh that's awesome not all we got we got a high repeat so you know about half of our customers every year have have a ts customs rifle yeah that that helps they don't come with one but they they end up leaving with one or some sort of commitment anyway exactly they come back next year with one (laughs) they leave with a deposit (laughs) down yep yep 
That's awesome. No, I, I think that's pretty interesting. I think you would be a fantastic mule deer guide out there for that reason, especially in that type of terrain and, and shooting positions, just because A, you're a precision shooter and, and a professional one at that. And then also you build rifles. Uh, you know a lot about ballistics and and, and, and rifles and, and shooting and, and positioning. I think, gosh, man, I feel like the, them hunters would be darn lucky to get you as a guide. Yeah, I, I think so. I, you know, I, I know we we're able to kill, we're, we're able to have a higher success rate because of what I'm this, this last year, you know, one of the first podcasts is telling you about that seven Psalm that I shot. And uh, I was thinking about it the other day and, and that rifle, I think it killed five, maybe six deer last year with like a 550 yard average. Yeah. That, I mean, that's probably for most of those guys, I was guessing those hunters that average that it's yeah, probably the longest shots ever for them. Exactly. Yeah. Mo- most of them, had, you know, that, that figured in my 800 yard kill and, and, uh, Ryan, the, the outfitter, he shot his deer with my rifle too, like 375 or something. But okay. yeah, I know we had three clients and they all killed between, between 500 and 600 yards. And at that, you know, that kind of, that kind of distance and that kind of rifle, rifle setup, I'm not going to say it's easy and everybody can do it, but right. I have a lot of confidence at that distance somebody that's never pulled the trigger on that rifle before that, you know, in 30 seconds of, of laying there. And quite often, you know, it, it's so nice. I've, I've had a few, I had a few situations like this year we were on a, we were on a real nice white tail and uh, the sun was coming up, coming into our face. And we'd, we'd kind of followed him up this draw. We'd been, we'd been stalking him and he had a bunch of deer with him. So he was, he was really hard to, you know, we, we had to be really careful about how, how we were moving and getting snuck over the hill and the sun was coming up into our face and he was on this real steep, a hillside with the sun behind him and so he was just terrible to see you know i'd see him through my binoculars but the hunter couldn't see him through his scope and you know and then he was on a couple of really hot doses. so i mean he he never stopped and he was you know he's like 450 yards i mean super super doable shot but we just couldn't ever you know he'd stop and he'd be facing away or or you know he'd be stopped and he'd be he'd be 30 yards different or 50 yards different and i'd reach over and i put a couple different you know clicks on the on the scope up or down and you know trying to keep it dialed into wherever he was at and, and say we had the sun fighting us and, oh, and we you know we couldn't get up and, and you know move position because there was just too many deer around and but while we were laying there and that deer was moving back and forth and i was getting i was getting hunter situated you know i made sure you know that his bipod height in the front was right you know so that i could I could slip my slip my bag to him and he got good support on the on the back of the gun and, and i you know real quick just explained like you know when you're on that deer i want you i want you to have that bag situated so that you're not holding the rifle up i want the weight of the back end of the rifle on that bag and you know so he wrestled around with that and you know as he was trying to find the deer in the scope in the in that shady hillside and, and it worked out really good because it took it took some time and we ended up he's like ah the bipod's just a little too short i can't you know i can't get on position right and we're kind of laying downhill where feet were a little bit above our heads and, mm-hmm. and but you know in that 30 seconds or a minute who knows it could have been five minutes of laying there waiting for that deer to, to clear and get up to where we could see him good. And the whole time I was ranging and, and, you know, every time he'd stop, I'd range. And, and then as I could kind of see where the other deer were leaving, I was ranging spots, you know, where I thought maybe he would go to have a, have a good idea how much, you know, elevation correction I'm going to have to put into the scope if he stopped in any of those, any of those places. But in that short time frame, you know, I was able to take a guy that never, never shot anything that far, never shot anything like that. And, you know, a few brief, kind of instructions on 
how to set the bag up, how, you know, make sure that you're, make sure that you're steady. This is how I want you to break the trigger. I think we actually even, even before we chambered around, I had him dry fire it, you know, make sure you can always, you can always tell if, if your position is bad, if you dry fire, like I'll do that to, when I'm, when I'm shooting at the range, you know, I would, I would definitely do that if I was going to take a really long shot on a critter, you know, and everything was pretty, everything was pretty still, you know, if I had time to set up for the shot, I would close my bolt on an empty chamber and I'd dry fire because just to see natural, how your gun behave with that pressure. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Just like I was telling you before, your body's natural reaction when that shot breaks is to relax. And, and you'll see that in a, in a dry fire, if, you know, if you, if you if shot goes off and you shake and, you know, from, from holding your breath or from holding yourself up on your elbows or, you know, or not being fully supported, you'll see it in a dry fire. And so at any time I, anytime I have the chance, I, I have clients do that, you know, that's awesome. Take, you know, want you, I want you to feel the trigger. I want you to, you know, have an idea when it's going to go off and uh, get, him, get him to dry fire. And anyways, finally, this deer cleared and he was following some others up on top of the hill. And it was like 600 yards even. And I said, as soon as, as soon as he stops, he's going to stop in that open spot. I said, put, put that first dot in, which was a mill, which is quite a bit of wind. It was, it was like a 12, 14 mile an hour wind. Um, I said, just put that first dot right where you want to hit him and ease the trigger. I mean, I didn't even have, didn't even have to tell him that deer got up on top and he turned and stopped and looked back and he hammered him deer went 10 yards. Oh, really? Tipped over. It was, yeah, it was, it was so cool. The but, first dot to the right or the first dot to the left? What kind of wind did you have? Uh, it was a left to right wind. So yeah, he was holding, holding on the first dot right of center. First hot holding dot. the middle left. Yeah. Gotcha. That's awesome. I bet he yep. was just put it, put it right. Yeah. Put it right behind the shoulder. Just, yeah. Just chili whopped him. Cool. <laughs> Did he buy a rifle after that? Did he put a deposit down and buy a rifle? Um, I don't think that guy did. I bet he does though. He's coming back this year. Oh, is he? Okay. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's in, that's incredible. That's gotta feel good and gratifying seeing you helping a hunter take that kind of a shot so successfully. So successfully, oh, and then you helped him dial the wind, you helped him get anchored, you helped him break the trigger so that he was prepared on a dry fire. I mean, that, all that's just got to feel gratifying. And, and you're not even the one that killed the animal. And that's just got to feel good. Oh, it is. It's yeah, it's it's about it. It's about as good as getting to kill a dozen critters myself every fall doing that little bit of guidance. It's it's a ton of fun. I really, I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, that, that sounds, that sounds like an absolute blast. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, I think that's really interesting and an and awesome parallel to you being an ever successful guide and, and the whole outfit as a whole being more successful, uh, just having you help guys make those shots and get into the proper positioning and anchoring down and so on and so forth. So Ryan, if you're, if you're listening to this, you hurt Travis's average this year with that 375 yard shot. <laughs> we, we won't talk about the one that he missed at 700. Yeah. We, we won't, we won't throw Ryan in the bus cause I want to get out there and hunt with him either this year yeah. or next. But anyway, no, that's, that's, that's super interesting hearing how your guiding and, and your professional shooting kind of goes hand in hand, helping others be successful. So what is it like hunting mule deer out there? So is it just kind of like what you said in just kind of hunting them in the rolling fields and, and crop? And I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Right. Yeah. So we, we hunt in a mix of, of prairie, a little bit, a little bit of agriculture, a little bit of river bottoms. You know, there's not a lot of trees anywhere we hunt. Really there's you know, unless until you get out actually into the call it the little mountains, the black hills of, of South Dakota, you know, clear on the west side of the state, there's really not a lot of trees 
anywhere I and mean, especially where we hunt it's it's uh you know where we hunt is kind of mixed in with some of the national grasslands you know that's that's federal ground so it is just it's big rolling prairie it's not a not a super physical hunt by any means like i said we spend most of the day in the ranger or the pickup doing lots of glass and from there and then we then we take off on foot you know once we've once we've located something to to, to put a stock on it is but it is a lot of times it, it, it just it, getting a little bit of terrain in between you and the animals so that you can make an approach yeah yep it is we'll we'll uh you know if we spot something a mile and a half away i mean we don't have to cover that by by foot so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna yeah. you know we're let we're let them get into a get into a draw or or settle down into a you know into a field and and we'll cover some of that distance if we can with a with a buggy or a pickup and park a good distance away that we're not disturbing anything and and sneak in sneak in nice and quiet and say so usually usually there's a little bit of topography to work with you say it's not it's not anything like we're hunting mountains and you're you know you're shooting from one side of a canyon to the to the other it's it's little little rolly stuff so a super long shot is really kind of hard to get set up you know there's right. it's not like there's a ton of elevation change between you you know it's it's only ever a few hundred yards between between real little knobs or rolls or you know across a, a creek or a, or a small draw but you know three four five six hundred yards is is really really common and it's always even at those kind of shots it's always good if we can get get bellied out and usually and usually we can you know i've belly crawled with a client you know up over over the crest of a hill and you know had a had a deer bedded at like 450 and we couldn't the grass was, was still pretty tall and so we, you know you kind of crawl over the over the cusp of the hill so that so that it's you know the hill's starting to roll down away from you and and then hopefully you get enough elevation change in that short distance to get the grass out of the way well we couldn't and and so he's he's looking through the scope and and i'd crawl out in front and i'd and i'd tamp some grass down with my hands <laughs> or kind of belly, belly crawl across it trying to trying to get the grass matted down while he's watching deer making sure he wasn't you know that he wasn't watching us and i'd crawl back to him and, and you know, <laughs> till i till i had enough grass cleared down that's a that's a pretty common thing we're, we're kind of yeah always, i could see that happening out there that long prairie grass yeah we're always kind of fighting fighting grass do you have to deal with any snakes or probably not that time uh, of year not not by not by rifle season archery season yeah we, Gosh, we see a dude. few snakes but we just yeah prairie rattlers they're they're nasty they're like top 10 venomous in uh in north america is that right yeah i don't, I don't know i uh, i avoid them or kill everyone i get a chance to they're i hate them gosh on a recent bear hunt we almost got nailed going in uh tyler almost stepped on two and then um he stopped before he went past him but taylor his brother-in-law and i think these are di a dimeback heck i don't know what kind of species they are but anyway he stepped over this one on the trail before he realized he stepped over a rattlesnake it should have nailed him uh, and guess uh, what those are the first three rattlesnakes i've ever seen hunting first three ever i fingers fingers crossed i've never i mean i've spent a lot of time like out west river coyote hunting in you know september and october when it's still plenty warm but like hunting with hunting with ryan archery you know in first week of september i've only ever like come across one rattlesnake in my whole life afoot. i killed a couple on i killed a couple on the road this year and, and actually the one i I stepped across was really that was really the same deal as, Ty, as 
Tyler's in-law. I, it was quite a few years ago and trucking down a cow trail early in the morning, heading to a spot and the sun has come up, but it was still, it was still real, real cool and wasn't paying much attention. And I'd actually stepped <laughs> right over one. Oh. And it, 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 buzzed, it buzzed behind me. Yeah. I was like three oh steps past gosh. it and I heard it. I, and I, and it, up to that point, I'd never even like seen a rattlesnake. I mean, seen them dead on the road, you know, right. traveling. That, and that's I, all I'd, I'd, I'd never seen. That's all I'd ever yeah, seen. I'd never seen one before. And, you know, of course, grasshoppers, you know, every grasshopper takes off, you know, you'd make you jump thinking <laughs> it was a rattlesnake. But yeah. You know, it's a rattlesnake when, when they go off. <laughs> oh, man. Holy cow. Yeah, that, that was, it's disturbing, man. I bet that shocked your system when you stepped over that sucker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, it was no good for, for my heart. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's, it's interesting hearing, you know, what type of terrain that you're, uh, you're stalking these animals in because, you know, different terrain is going to cause for different hunting methods, you know? So, right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's pretty fast and furious. Like I said, we cover, we cover a lot of country, you know, I mean, yeah. we just, we get to see so many acres, you know, because we, it's not like we can go, we, it's not like we can glass for five miles or, you know, right. a giant, a giant mountainside. We can't walk it all. We'd never get, we'd never get it all looked at. And yeah, you just use the most efficient method and it, yeah, I've, I've hunted, uh, it's different, you know, it, the mountain backcountry hunts are exciting and grueling and super tough and, uh, sometimes a matter of survival, but there's also something to be said about the joy and the fun of driving around in a rig and, and hunting a different type of terrain and mule deer in a different area. It's just fun. Different strategies. Yeah. It's just fun, man. If you haven't, you haven't yeah. done it, you should exactly. try it. Cause it's, it's, it's a blast. Yeah. It's still, still far from a gimme. You know, it's, there's still a lot of, it's still a lot of country. It's not like it, it it's not a pool table where, where you can see absolutely, absolutely everything. If they don't want to be, they don't want to be found there. You know, they're not, they're not going to be. Right. It's uh, not like it's so, easy. Right. No. A lot you of know, cuts it, and draws it, and stuff. They can hide in coolies. I imagine probably brush up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, if they get on a, on a hot dough and take her and, and lock down, you, you know, there's, you, you just might not see a deer that you think you're going to see every day. He just, he'll disappear for four or five days and he might show up six, eight miles away on another, on another farms. Right. Exactly. Well, I want to, I want to transition to this last subject I want to talk about, and you kind of prefaced it by saying bone on bone contact. And I want to talk about, have you talk about uh, squaring up on a rifle and where that butt of your gun should go in terms of squaring up on that rifle? Uh, so the squaring up, the butt of the gun, it's a little bit different for everybody. It's a little bit different for every, for every stock. Of course, you don't like want it out on your bicep, on, on your arm or shoulder. But, I mean, really kind of, you're right. But anywhere, anywhere kind of in the pocket of, of your shoulder, you know, from the, from the point of your shoulder up to the, to the point of your collarbone, you know, or the, where your collarbone comes there again, just outside of your neck, it, it's going to be just a little bit different for everybody. And acceptance in the shape of the stock, the important thing if you can, is to get you, to get your body square to it. Just like we were talking about the the slope on the bottom side of a buttstock, and you know, and, and lack of lack of support underneath the gun. When the gun recoils and moves rearward, if it encounters any off-axis force, like your body being being at an at an angle, it's going to cause the butt end of the rifle to go there again. The where there's the least support. So the, the important, the importance of getting your body square behind the rifle is so that when, when the rifle tracks back and it, and it in, interacts with you, it, 
continues straight back. You know, your body doesn't force it off to one side or the other. And that's, you know, cause that's going to add another, another angle or another vector change into the direction of, of recoil. I'm sure you've, you've probably noticed before when you shoot, I know you get pretty angled off to the rifle. I'm guessing when you shoot your reticle, your rifles always pointed to the left of where it was initially pointed. Mm, used to until I started getting square on my gun better. Right. So I won't mention any names or, or pick on anybody, but I've, I've seen some, some hunting and hunting instruction videos before where, where they talk about, you know, you just get off to the side of the rifle. Cause you don't need to get, you know, you know, the, they were, they were saying that getting square behind your rifle was for snipers to minimize your area that you can get shot. You know, you're not as, oh, you're really? not as wide. And I was like, uh, that's completely not the, that's completely not the case. Point is getting your, getting your body parallel with the rifle so that so that rifle tracks rearward yeah that it, it stays tracking square and, and so that your body absorbs that recoil evenly too i think that's important right yep um i i think i'm guilty of leaning if i'm off to the side of my gun if i'm on a steep side hill where i'm trying to oh, make yeah. a shot and, so i'm not bent in half because i mean if you're shooting downhill or got just an uncomfortable position sometimes you got to shift your body just to the side and it's not ideal right um, right. but in order to get that shot off, sometimes you got to improvise. Yeah. And, and, and it's not, and it's not always going to be the most comfortable. It's, it's really, it's pretty foreign to, to most people to, to not be off to the side of the rifle, you know, cause you don't shoot, a, you don't typically shoot a shotgun that way. You don't, you know, like combat pistol training, you know, that's definitely leaning more towards a, a square stance, you know, and, and square position with a, with a handgun now more than, than what you would used to used to see but yeah it's it's real similar it's real similar to your to your bow you know getting that left getting that left arm all you know your elbow your elbow as locked out as you can and and bone on the on your elbow to the bone in your shoulder all being all being square so so that everything is running straight that's awesome man well these are super good tips i mean squaring up to your rifle making sure you have a proper rear support dry firing breaking trigger and and tips on anchoring getting the best supports whether it's in the, in the crock of a tree or rear bag tip on packing that lightweight bag with with fill i know most guys wouldn't even think to do that but and then having a good bipod i mean you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this kind of stuff and not only you're a professional shooter and, and rifle builder but you're also a, a guide so it's interesting kind of bringing um all this together and you kind of have an interesting resume there for all these things and it, it was great tapping into your knowledge for this do you have anything that maybe we left out that you'd want to say or add to this yeah i mean the the fine fundamentals of of marksmanship i mean we far from we far from even touched the top of that rabbit hole and the finer the finer points of why and where that rifle what rifle goes through recoil a lot of that was it was taught to me most of it was taught to me uh, i'll plug my good friend greg primal rights and he's got some tremendous articles if you want to if you want to go down the go down the trail learning more about precision marksmanship uh, look up the primal rights articles on marksmanship it's it's uh they're they're deep they're very they're uh, they're very pointed but they're worth they're worth the read i'll i easily say my successes in in shooting for no more than i practice have definitely come from my rock solid fundamentals that you know under, understanding of the, the fine points like we're talking about you know where the rifle goes through through recoil and in all the different positions that you might be faced with in the field or or in a shooting match 
having a having a solid understanding of, of those and being able to implement uh, the best rifle driving technique you can in any position is it's probably my biggest key to success for me personally so yeah no we all got out if you we all got to learn from somebody so i appreciate you plugging him yeah absolutely. We, most of us didn't learn everything on our own while we may have discovered or had little discoveries along the way uh, there's been those mentors or those people that have gone before us that we've kind of picked things up and and helped us out so no i, I appreciate you plugging him so that's pretty cool primal rights if you want to check out some in-depth articles Absolutely. Heck yeah, man. Well, hey guys, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, You can check this out on Spotify, iTunes. Leave us a review. Let us know what you like. Let us know if you didn't. Send me an email at eric at muleyfreak.com. And Travis, thanks for joining us until we catch you on the next one. It was a pleasure.